Welcome to this episode of the Today Dreamer podcast. We're going to be exploring effective choice making together with one another in this space right here, right now. Welcome to the present moment and I'm happy to be here with you. Today's guest is Forrest Landry and Forrest is the founder and CEO of Magic Flatbox, a company among the first to introduce the portable vaporizer to the world. Forrest Landry is a philosopher, writer, researcher, scientist, engineer, craftsman and teacher who has been studying and practicing the varied high arts since the mid-70s. So, if you're new to the show, the Today Dreamer podcast is here to allow us to explore what deepening the practice of presence looks like within our own lives by gathering the perspectives of others that are doing the same thing. Looking at dreaming, doing, and integrating those two into being. You might think, what does the CEO of a company that was the first to introduce, or one of the first to introduce portable vaporizers have to do with presence? Well, Forrest is a remarkable human. I would like to tell you a short story before we begin. I was in the market for a marijuana vaporizer, probably about, I don't know, five or so years ago, maybe more, because I was looking for, at the time, a healthier way to ingest marijuana because I could tell that it just wasn't good for my lungs uh, when I when I used to smoke and I came across this cute little box made of wood and on the back of the box there was a message that said something like always make choices from a place of love and not fear love is always stronger than fear something like that and I really remember feeling just this remarkable feeling inside that some something so true was on the back of on the back of this little box. And I went traveling for a few years and on my journey this message kept coming up every time I had met a difficult fork in the road in terms of having to make a decision. And I decided to go with love every time I noticed it and reflected upon the message and this has really changed my life it it was kind of decision making from a place other than the mind it's like decision making of the heart and I got back and I came across Forrest's work and I wanted to get him on to the show because you know what he's done and how he's helped me I'm sure that can kind of filter out to others in the sphere it's such a beautiful thing, such a beautiful thing to consider. His work, I feel, is a hundred years ahead of its time. And, you know, it's surprising that, you know, people are connecting with it now, but he's done some amazing work. He's done TED Talks and written books and done a lot of work into choice making. So today we're going to explore some of that and we're going to see what we uncover. If you're enjoying the episodes, if you're enjoying the show and you'd like to find a way to support the show, the best way to support these mindful media vibes that I'm sending out every week into the sphere, into your eardrums. And if they're resonating, please consider the consider, you know, sharing, sharing the show with others. 
But the best way to support the show is to become part of the Today Dreamer tribe. And you can do that by heading over to patreon.com forward slash Today Dreamer, where you've got the opportunity to support the show. And in exchange, I provide gifts and perks to everyone that becomes part of the Today Dreamer family. So please head over to patreon.com forward slash Today Dreamer if you're interested in you know, deepening that connection. I'd really appreciate it. Help keep the show alive and help keep this intention burning. Uh, yeah, so let's take a moment to take a deep breath together, come into a moment of pause, a moment of stillness amongst the chaos of our lives and drop into kind of a shared space a little bit deeper together now before moving into the conversation. So... I'd just like to invite you to find a comfortable position. It can be wherever you are at the moment. You can find a, a seat on the floor or on a chair. You can even lay down if it feels right. And when you're ready, bring your eyelids to a gentle close. Take one big inhale in and exhale out into the nose deep into the belly and release now let's do that again but this time see if you can make your inhale as slow as naturally possible whenever it is that you reach the peak take your time with it and just pause there for a moment feel into that space before exhaling just as gracefully on the way out and pausing at the bottom Here's a conversation with Forrest. That message that you wrote on that on that little box has really, I really, just kind of upon reflection and just in preparation for this conversation, um, there's it, it's just made such a difference in my life. You know, it's 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 interesting when we think about the little things that really change our trajectory and how the decisions that we make can really take us in you know a lot of different directions um and just looking at the significance of certain moments um it's it's an interesting thing but definitely that box and that message on that box has stayed with me it when i read it there was something that really rang true about it i didn't know what it was it just felt it felt like the right thing you know i didn't know why i didn't know how but um it just made sense and it stuck with me I mean, it really did. And now kind of looking kind of over your work, it makes sense that you wrote it um, on the box. I didn't know who wrote it on the box at the time. I just thought, you know, what's this about? Because you don't really see something that strikes you as that real on a product um, and that really cuts through that much. 
and I'm super glad to hear all this. Yeah, well, it's it's something that it's just yeah, it's it's something that's really I've noticed changed the way that I make decisions now. If I'm going to be honest, and and it's really you know it was a seed. All it was was a seed that was planted that's really grown into something now that has been really useful in my life um, through difficult moments, very, very difficult moments um, and a lot of struggle. That message has come through and it's been confusing at times, you know, sometimes just for everyone, I don't know if anyone's listening at the moment, but for everyone listening, it's the message was something like choose love over fear, um, always choose love over fear and you know, sometimes I've, I was questioning in my life, you know, it seems like fear creeps in in both directions of the choice, you know, um, when you've got two kind of options. But then it's like, well, you don't want to be basing your decisions on fear. And um, even if it's a struggle to find yourself coming to the more difficult one, which is often love, like it's not easy to make a choice. Um, that's kind of against what your mind is telling you or screaming at you and, and coming from somewhere that's a bit more within and um, like more of a felt sense. Um, it's a difficult thing, but it's almost like that push um, to step over that that obstacle is always worth it in the end. And um, I, that's for me, that's been recognized by a real sense of, and I wasn't sure in the beginning if it was a sense of relief for having made the decision or just this feeling of just going like things are on the right track and, I, and I'm moving um, in the right direction because I've made the decision based on love. So I'm not sure if any of that makes sense, but that's... No, it all makes sense. Yeah. And, and it's actually uh, just, I mean, I, I, can, I can talk about what that statement is and what it means and why I put it on there. I can, I can you know, connect the dots because what you're describing to me sounds... It sounds right. I mean, what I hoped for was what you're describing to have uh, created the capacity for people to really improve their lives. I mean, that that was the reason I put it on very specifically. I mean, I, I mean, if you if you look at my my website, I have uh, I have a couple I have uh, mflb.com, which is where I'm posting a lot of stuff these days. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an older one, uh, uh, uvsm.com. But basically, MFLB has all my, my recent work, including that, that other one. And so, you know, if you, if you look at it, you'll see there's an enor enormous amount of stuff that I've written and, and time that I've spent doing writing and things. And, you know, I, I was really thinking about, well, what does this all boil down to? Like, what is the one thing I can say to somebody? And, and, and just know that if they, if they didn't understand anything else I, I, I said, but if they, they really got this one piece, that it would really help to make a difference. And, um, you know, this, this was back before <laughs> the, the, the whole Silicon Valley cliche of make the world a better place. You know, this was my actual attempt to do that, not the cliche version, but, but the, just the genuine sense of if I'm going to suggest a concept or an idea that, 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 I, that I know to be the case, that I can believe in and that I know that other people can believe in, What's the simplest and most succinct statement of that that I can come up with? And so the, the aphorism, love is that which enables choice. Love is always stronger cheer. Love is always stronger than fear. Always choose on the basis of love. That, that's been printed on 
pretty much every single one. I mean, we, we, we literally, all of the, the units that we've ever made and shipped, that message is on it. And, you know, it's, it's essentially a, it's, it's three parts, obviously. The first part is a kind of definition. Um, the second one is a kind of theorem. And the third one, as you know, is an injunction, right? It's, it's, it's a what to do. So, you know, I, basically the, the, the notion here is, is that everybody in the world is going to have relationships. None of us is, is by ourselves. We're born into families. We have friendships and work partnerships and so on. And then, you know, eventually we, we, we pass, but the legacy that we have is in our relationships. And so in, in this sense, the, the idea is that if those relationships are going to be healthy, if they're going to be real, if they're going to, to, to be generative in some sense, you know, have a future, then we really need to get this practice right. The practice of how do we care for one another? How do we love one another? What does that mean? And so the idea is uh, of, of love is that which enables choice is something that that for me clarified what the action of love was. I mean, there's so much poetry out there about what does it feel to be in love, right? And that's a very self-oriented point of view. But if I'm trying to figure out how to be loving towards another person, then now this notion is a guideline. I want to enable their choices. I want them to have a chance to discover the wonder and the value of life to become more fully themselves. If I'm going to say, I love them for some notion of knowing who they are, then the sense of enabling them to choose as a, as there's a, there's a sense by which we become more ourselves through our choices. Uh, there's a, there's another aphorism in the system, which is uh, self is the product of all the choices you have made and all the choices you could make. Hmm. It's both, right? So in other words, I am partly infused by all of the experiences that have made me who I am today, all of the choices I've made in the past that have led me to this moment. And at the same time, being who I am, whatever wisdom I have, whatever skills, you know, things I've learned in life that I could apply, that I could enact by making things or writing or teaching or whatever it is that I choose to do, that, that those skills inform all of my future capacities. If I know about botany, I'm going to be able to make, you know, healthy plants. If I know about cooking, then I'm going to be able to make good food, you know, whatever that means, right? Having some notion of even, of even what goodness is, is a skill. And so in effect, there's a, there's a real sense that by enabling a person to choose well, to choose wisely, to to know what their choices are, know what their values are, know what their basis of, of, of being is, then, you know, to affirm that, to, to essentially say, how can I help? What, what are the things that I can do that would, that would enable you to choose well and wisely and fully and to become more yourself? So that by being more yourself, that I can even more fall, fall more deeply in love with you. Mm. And so this, this sense of, Love is that which enables choice has now become a really discerning test. It's like, am I just enabling my own choices? Am I trying to supplant their choices? That wouldn't be genuine love, right? If I'm trying to replace their choices with my choices for my benefit, then that's not loving. 
and so you know and, and, and right away we can start to see these kind of distinctions right i mean it's it's obvious as soon as you think about it that way um and then you know we can use it as a kind of as a as a tool to to, to see whether or not someone else is acting in a loving way towards us right like I might be in a, in, in a you know, relationship with a narcissist or an abusive person and think that they're being loving to me. But if I ask the question, are they enabling me to be alive? Are they enabling me to be healthier, more myself? Are they, are they affirming my capacity to choose my, my sovereign uh, dignity and, 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 and right to live and all that sort of stuff? Or are they you know, covertly preventing me from making good choices? They're, they're trying to displace which choices I can make. Uh, it's a bit like uh, if I go into a uh, auto dealership and he says my choice is the red car or the blue one. And he sort of tries to implicitly convince me that it's not my choice as to whether or not to buy a car, but just which one is going to be, right? Um, or whether or not to just you know leave and, and go not buy a car at all or go to the other dealership or, or just not be coerced into thinking that the options are just the ones that he gives me. And so, you know, when we're looking at software, we're looking at politics, for example, it's like, you know, what's not on the menu, right? You know, I have, I have two candidates, which I, neither one of them I really like, right? Um, you know, there's so many times, how many times have you, have you had to vote for a candidate? I'm, I'm not speaking, you know, about any particular election recent or even in the past. I'm just simply saying that a lot of times it's like the values that we want to see expressed, nobody's representing that. Hmm. And so in, in a sense, there's a, uh, there's, there's a real need here for us to recognize when it is important to, uh, to, to, to know when to abstain or when to be in a relationship that is different than the one we're currently in because the skillfulness of loving one another hasn't been established. And so, in other words, if someone else is trying to condition my choice by taking options away or, or uh, to constrain my capacity to choose, then I'm going to want to think very carefully as to whether that relationship is genuinely a healthy one. Hmm. And so, you know, these are, these are now tools that, that show up in friendships and romantic partnerships, but they also show up, as I said, in politics where, you know, the relationship between, um, you know, the government and the people, if, if the function of government is to protect the land and the people, it is to enable those people to, to choose well and wisely to thrive as a result of the choices that they make, that the land becomes healthier, that, that it fulfills the capacity to, to support life, to, to, to be productive, you know, for farms or, or wildlife or whatever else it is that, 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 that means thriving is, is a sense that it has the choice to have a future, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 you know, we can, we can extend this even to the relationship between, um, you know, individual people and, and systems, software, for example. I mentioned the thing about the menu. Does the software actually enable a person to do the things they need to do rather than the things that, the, uh, you know, some big company, uh, you know, the big five firms want you to do certain things a certain way. They take out certain options and they make things uh, opt out rather than opt in and you know, all the sort of dark patterns about how software can be used to manipulate human behavior. Mm. Yeah, it so, seems like it seems like there's there's quite a I guess we're all going a certain way, following the stream of things. I'm trying to kind of put this in words the best I can. Um, and I've noticed with the decisions that have gone against that and 
you know, gone for a different option that may not be on the menu. There's almost a sense of, um, it's more than, it's like a, a glitch in my system of being, like a, a kind of a, a struggle to kind of um, step out of the, the kind of given the presented options that I'm, I'm used to, you know, going down the, those paths and kind of finding a new way through the, through the forest, I guess. And it's, yeah. it's been, you know, it's almost, it hasn't even made any sense to my mind. And I, I remember feeling like, like the first time that this happened, you know, afterwards it was like, oh, that, that was the best thing I could have done. And this is like, I can't believe I actually made that step. But during the process of making that decision, there was this real glitch between like, like my mind was trying to like tell me that, you know, from an analytical sense that this wasn't the right way to go. And there was this almost a sense of, of dropping into the gut or the heart or the body. It was like an embodied decision and, and a sense of trust and curiosity and experimentation that took place to be able to step into these this decisions that just seemed like crazy to my mind, but felt right. Um, so there's this, and it's the same thing. Like if you're at a car dealership and you're saying, do you want the red car or the blue car? And it just doesn't feel right yeah. to be able to walk away, even though your mind's telling you, you know, that's been sucked in by this illusion of choice that he's created. Um, you know, it's, it's almost the idea of going with what you feel. It's like a sense of intuition. Um, and I was thinking about an example this morning, just of like, some dodgy situations I've been in while traveling and just this kind of idea of just walking away from it and how much trouble I would have saved myself. Um, you know, I did save myself um, instead of kind of going down the wrong road. It could have easily turned into like some sour situation many times. And that, that applies to different areas in our life. Um, but I guess it comes down to what I'm interested in exploring is, you know, recognizing those moments and even, you know, for for people that aren't used to making those kinds of decisions, how do they get started with them? How do they kind of, because it seems like it, it builds and it becomes easier as you go. So once you start making these decisions, you've kind of already figured out the pathway to do so. And, and then they become easier and easier. But the first ones are real, like I said, like a real struggle, a real glitch in the system. Yep. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on, on kind of those first steps or, or like a way into making uh, more effective decisions um, based on a sense of feeling or, or you know, however you describe it with in the context of your work? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, and it's, it's the right question, which is, you know, how do we integrate a kind of sensory awareness and embodied awareness? And, and, and you're right, it, it, it is a kind of feeling-based process. It starts there. It, it, it wants to start there. You know, we, we have first impressions and we have intuitions and we have feelings and they represent a kind of embodied awareness. Like our, our whole experience of life is, is present in every moment. It infuses the matrix of our being. I mean, we, we can get to learn to trust our, our feelings and we don't have to just stay there. I mean, obviously if we start with the intellect process we can lose track of the feelings. We can lead ourselves astray. The, the intellect can be deceived. So in effect, what we do is, is we use the feelings as a way to increase our discernment. The intellect is gonna operate from a place of judgment. It's gonna to try to figure out a simple, easy answer. 
right? But a lot of cases, what we're really looking to do is to be more discerning. So we want to start with the feeling. And then as we explore what is the meaning of the feeling, then we begin to also bring our intellect back into it. But you don't want to start with the intellect. The intellect has nowhere to go. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's like a, a race car, but you know, no direction. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter how fast the car is, how powerful the engine, uh, whether or not it's designed fuel efficiently or, or um, has brilliant colors on racing stripes on the side and so on and so forth. If the car is driving into a cliff or off of one, it doesn't matter whether or not the driver has a PhD. Somewhere along the way, there has to be guidance. There has to be a kind of uh, sense of direction and the, the feeling, the value systems, the, the underlying basis of choice that is, is embodied in a kind of built-in physical wisdom gives us that guidance, right? It's a, it's, it's a sense in which you know, we, we have a direction that we wanna go in and that that direction is infused with some sort of meaningfulness that is um, maybe something we don't appreciate right away or know right away. We have to then use that feeling to inform our thinking, to, to basically say, okay, I trust that I'm feeling something and that the fact that I'm feeling something is important. There's signal here. Mm -hmm. And so in effect, we want to then start to use our imagination, right? It's not necessarily an intellectual facility, but it can become that. So we have this feeling and then we start to imagine uh, various scenarios. Am I feeling this way because maybe I'm worried that, and you fill in the blank, right? Or maybe I'm, uh, reminded of some traumatic experience or something like that. So, so you start to try these different hypotheses and you, you compare how that imagination makes you feel versus how you feel. And you can make that comparison and then you, you start to develop a kind of narrative as to why you feel that way, right? So it's, it's like it's, it's taking an unconscious, I don't know why I feel this way and converting it into one that is conscious. And so in effect, there's, there's, there's three parts. There's this imaginative facility. There's the uh, feelings that it's translating. And then this sort of uh, intellectual narrative as to what those feelings mean. And, when and, then, we get and those, then the follow through. Yeah. So in other words, the, the idea is, is that if I can, uh, ha I have enough flexibility of imagination, I've worked with this exercise enough that I, I start to become really good at noticing when I have a feeling figuring out what that feeling means by, you know, maybe I talk to it like with, with, uh, with people, um, you know, this is kind of stereotypical, but, but, but women talk to one another, right? Men should too, right? We, we want to say, well, I, I, I'm feeling this or I'm thinking that or, or so on and so forth. And then compare how the statement makes them feel relative to what it was the original feeling. So if I, if I say, hey, I feel sad, I can start to notice whether that feels consistent or not. Right, so I, I might say, well, actually, that's not quite right. I feel a little, uh, I, I feel a little depressed and partly anxious, and I think the reason is because of this. And then I now have another hypothesis, and I say, nope, that's not quite right either. It's actually because of, and 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 so, in effect, we're fine tuning our ability to be aware of the nuances of our feeling. It's like we're engaging more deeply. We're getting more present and more embodied and more in touch. And with that capacity, we gain an intellectual capacity to 
have a connection between what we're feeling, what our intuition is, and what our intellect can, can, can tell us. That's when things really start to work well, right? It's, it's if, if I just have the intellect and no imagination, I'm not even going to think of things that might be options that are worthwhile. As you mentioned a minute ago, sometimes it's, okay, something's not quite right. Stop, look, and tell the truth, right? Or, or just, just stop and, and, and just look around and try to figure out, you know, okay, what are the feelings that I'm having? What are the imagined scenarios that are maybe concerns and how do I uh, construct a new alternative, a new choice? So, so this, this capacity to choose well and wisely is going to uh, be based on our capacity to have discernment rather than judgment. It's creating the options that are the right options, the ones that are win-win, the ones that are genuinely based upon our values rather than some projection. Mm -hmm. It seems as though we can be quite desensitized to this whole process and it, and it might even need some kind of a snapping into um, like some abrupt um, experience or something to really, I guess, shake us out of being in a certain way that we've been used to being for so long. Well, Gurdjieff talked about this a bit. Uh, a long while ago, there was a, a teacher, I, I don't know if you know hmm. uh, that name, but um, it, he was a kind of a, uh, a character. And, and, and one of the things that he would do as part of his teaching would be to break people out of their ruts, right? So they, he, he would do a kind of uh, antimonian thing where he would, uh, you know, create pattern interrupts. You know, people would be in patterns, they'd be in habitual behavior. And he would notice that and he would basically say, well, uh, he, he, would, he would introduce something that would, that would interrupt the pattern, you know, some, some sort of um, surprising element that that person then had to, to sort of integrate and react to and to, and to, and to now all of a sudden have to stop and, 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 and have a new behavior in a space that, 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 that wasn't a, a habit that had previously existed. And then there was this uh, notion that was, you know, again, part of a philosophy or, or, or idea here of how to become more conscious of one's patterns. So in effect, there's this idea of a, an observer self. Right? There's myself that's participating. And then there's the part of me that is watching me go through my life and is looking for where are these patterns and evaluating them. It's a, it's a kind of thing of, is this pattern, this habit that I'm in, is this actually still well adapted to my current circumstances? Is there something about myself to which I have previously been blind that I need to... Uh, reinvest choice in to change the patterns so that I can be more uh, appropriately adapted to the circumstances I'm actually presently in. Mm. Yeah. So there's a, there's, there's an exercise of essentially trying to identify one's blind spots and to heal those. There's this, there's this piece I've been, I've been um, focused on. And I just think I just came to the realization that it may have been not the right way or not, not the right space to be focusing in on. So, the podcast that I do here is is I'm trying to kind of I guess speak to people around um, different. It, it began with the idea of this idea of spaciousness and stillness, where we can you know then take some meaningful action from, and you know the modalities that lead us into that space, the insights that may arise once we're there, and then how do we actually move into some phase of action? But it seems, yeah, it seems like from what you're saying, because you mentioned those three pieces earlier, but you didn't actually mention that follow through, that movement into the action. But it seems like that is almost like 
an automatic thing that takes place once we have all the other elements in place? Yes. Yeah, okay. it flows easily. Once once you basically have a, a win-win choice, you know, a, a clear, this is going to be responsive to all of the needs, yeah. right? My needs, your needs, everybody's needs. Then it just, it's easy. It just, it's like, uh, there's there's no conflict. There's just enthusiasm. Mm. And so the energy, of course, is going to flow. We're just going to do the right thing because there's a, there's a sense here by which we've really gotten clarity about what is goodness, what is rightness in this case. Mm. We've, we've gotten the love right, basically. And so in that sense, the, the, the action part, the choice part just becomes, becomes obvious, it becomes easy. Um, you know, it's not gonna, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not basically saying that all of life can be kumbaya, you know, just like a, some sort of utopian perfection, but that- um, It's not what we, we would want anyways, right? Well, I don't know that perfection is necessarily an ideal state either, but I, I, I think that what we're, we're really getting to is a kind of natural flow. Um, you know, I think, I think of, uh, you know, Zen as a, as a, you know, the way, right? What, what is the way, the way of flow, the way of, of organic relationship, the right relationship, a Native American concept. You know, the, the, the notion here is, is that if we, if we can sense truly what is truth, right, where we we can perceive with all of ourselves and we accept our perceptions. You know, there's no conflict. We, we, we integrate the full sense of our feeling, our full sense of imagination, our full sense of intellect. And, you know, that, that becomes essentially the organic rece reception. I, I have received fully um, without judgment that I can now respond fully without hesitation. So if there's, there's a kind of mastery involved with that. It's like if I, if I can perceive, like if, 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 if we're talking a sort of martial arts scenario, you know, somebody's, uh, you're sparring with somebody in a, you know, a judo situation, perhaps, you know. I'm and, liking and these, these examples. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, right? So you, you, you have, I mean, sparring is, is, is actually a beautiful thing. It's like a dance that, that has just enough rules to, to, to make it so that there's actual real skill involved. Um, and, and, and enough freedom so that there's, there's, there's real surprise and there's, there's a kind of uh, interactiveness that you can think of a sparring match as being a little bit like a game of chess, but, but real time and, and involving one's whole self rather than just one's intellect. Mm. And so in a, in a sense, there's a, uh, there's a deep beauty with that. And, um, you know, we don't necessarily, when, when we're in a sparring situation, um, or even an actual conflict, you know, hopefully that's not a scenario you find yourself in, but that you know person's throwing a punch at you you're not saying oh woe is me why are they doing this right that intellectual construct would just get in the way you have to actually deal with the situation right then and there any any hesitation to try to basically have um you know evaluativeness about the whyness of it is not going to let you spend as much time processing the what of what is happening seems that the lead up to that though and this this idea of um practicing a certain craft or developing a skill set the training element you know mm -hmm. when it comes to that that uh, match with the opponent um that's when it all kind of comes into play do you have any ideas on like any specific practical ways to begin to develop that other than what we've spoken about any maybe um techniques or tools to kind of get that that training in order um, so that when that match arrives, you know, I'm sure it, it constantly does in our life. And there's this sense of, um, you know, things are obviously always changing and, um, you know, 
the moment-to-moment decisions are really the ones that are building our life together and acting now is from that place would be the best thing to do and it's not like the match is some faraway place but you know difficult decisions some some choices seem more difficult than others and more significant than others although they all, all seem to be significant um, is there any way to kind of jump on that that training ring and, and begin kind of practicing a way to um, prepare ourselves for these moments that just arise well I think there's some things for sure that come to mind I mean you know, obviously, if I want to be able to respond with my whole self, I need to know my whole self, right? So, you know, when we when we respond as an integrated being, we can be very effective. Like if all of me is moving together, I can be, you know, again without without inhibition or without barrier, right? But to to get to that state, we need to know our whole self. So there's a, you know, it's ancient, uh, you know, we we know it is coming from the Greeks of know thyself. There's a kind of meditation element to this. So. Um, you know, when we are thinking about uh, what sort of exercises would prepare a person to notice what they are feeling, right? When I, when I think about meditation, um, I, I, I think of it as a practice, which, you know, a lot of people will uh, talk about it in the sense of stopping thinking, right? To have the monkey mind, you know, the, the commentary that's going on and on to, to just stop. But to me, trying to stop something is, is, you know, that's only part of it. It's, it's what you start that is also important. And, and in effect, it's, it's not so much that the emphasis here is to stop thinking, although that can be very helpful. It is to really get aware of what I'm feeling. So if I'm, if I'm in a meditation practice, I'm, I'm, you know, whether it be a walking meditation or a sitting one or, you know, eyes open or eyes closed, you know, I might have a thought and I might have the exercise of putting the thought up on a shelf or putting it in a, on a leaf and letting it float away in the water. There's all sorts of uh, visualization exercises a person can do. But the, the element here is um, to descend into the state of an awareness of the totality of self. It's like a, it's like a complete awareness of everything that you're feeling. And, you know, at first it might be, oh, I didn't know I had a pain in that particular toe, or it might be, oh my God, I itch everywhere. And there could be any number of distractions that come up. But the idea here is, is that, you know, over time, you'll begin to become more and more aware of all of the things that you're feeling in that moment. You'll become attuned to your own sensory capacities, your own sensory state. And the more that you can become discerning about that sensory capacity in that sensory state at all levels. Uh, you know, I, I could say emotional, but we're really talking about feelings. We're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, not just physical proprioceptive, uh, you know, sensations in one bodies, but, but essentially the sensation of what it is to be you within the totality of your own um, conscious being. Everything that we experience in life is going to have an effect on us. You know, every person that we hang out with, how I am with my parents is going to be different than how I am with my friends or with my boss. So we each influence one another's feeling state. Everybody, you know, the, the plants that are around you that I can see in your thing influence you. They change the shape of how the space that you're in feels. Hmm. The color of the walls, the items that you pick and choose to put on your shelves, the, you know, every, every little thing is is going to affect the, the, the way in which the room feels and the way in which the room affects you as a person in it. 
So when we become more aware of our natural feeling state and we come into different spaces, we can begin to notice how those spaces affect us. We can begin to notice how different people affect us. And, and that gives us uh, a much more fine-tuned awareness to begin the process of uh, imagination and intellect integration. Yeah. So in, a, so, so in effect, it's, it's, it's on one hand, we're, we're becoming more aware of our, of our feelings so that we can become more aware of what feelings are changing. And then we can notice the changes. Yeah. And so there's, there's, there's a baseline awareness and, and, you know, there's all sorts of exercises about this, you know, going on walkabout, for example, and, and, you know, experiencing a very wide variety of things and taking nothing with you and, and essentially uh, being in a place that you've never been and don't know, and then changing those rapidly that we can begin to see what is our natural repose, despite all the world around us changing, we randomize the world so that we can find the consistency, which is ourselves. And we therefore now know what is ours and what is not ours? What is our self and what is other? And in that, in that capacity, so again, these are all different sort of flavors of, of what is meant by meditation or practices that would be uh, generative of this. And then you, you even notice, for example, that as I was describing earlier, that in order to, to let the thoughts go, I, I might imagine a visualized scenario of putting my thought on a leaf and letting it float away down the stream, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to imagine a water flow. I have to imagine that there are leaves and my thoughts can be made into little crystals or something and put on those leaves and, and off they go, right? So in effect, the idea here is, is that not only is it the case that I become more aware of my feeling, but I'm also starting to explore and to develop the capacity for imagination. So that would be the, the next piece, right? So you know, there's physical exercises to improve one's health so that one can respond as a whole being. There's the uh, sensory, uh, become aware of one's feelings as much as one is already aware of one's thinking, right? Most thinkings are easier. Thinking is an object, but feeling has to do with a subject. It's not a thing. I can't, we don't, we don't have very many words that are very good at holding feelings. I mean, there's a whole range of them, but, but, you know, if you've ever tried to write down a dream, the nuances of of the dream that you have when you wake up and what you can write down on a piece of paper, very different things. And so in a sense, there's this uh, becoming more conscious of one's feelings. And then there is the increase in the variety and flexibility and, and, and literally just the nuance of capacity in one's imagination. Mm -hmm. If I, if I can't imagine a solution to a problem, then it's, it, it's not that the problem is insolvable. It's that I might actually just lack the skill of imagining a solution, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we want to develop good flexibility of the imagination. So now we have a, a physical component, uh, you know, health component, so to speak, uh, a feeling component and an imagination component. Obviously having uh, some skills as an intellectual person can certainly help, you know, lots of tools there. Um, you know, that part is, is, is probably the easiest, so I don't, I don't need to mention that quite as much. But the, the other thing too, like I said, is this sort of ongoing practice of noticing one's blind spots, noticing the habits that one has, and, and, and really being discerning about, am I operating as an integrated being? Anywhere I have obsessions or um, places where there's addictions or things like that, mm. there's going to be places where my sensory capacity has uh, become distorted. I've, I've in effect got 
too much sensitivity in one place and not enough in another. There's a yeah. edge there. And that can the... be in places that, um, you know, may not be that easy to spot and it's worth the focus. And also distraction comes into that, that, um, that's right. That bubble as well, I guess. N notice how attention moves. Yeah. Get, get skillful at being able to notice how attention and feeling moves. Mm -hmm. And once you, uh, develop some skills in that space, you'll find that it serves you in many, many aspects of life. I can't stop smiling because I, everything you're speaking about, I've I've got this idea that I, for a book and everything you've just said is like exactly what I've written down that I want to have in the book. Um, <laughs> although I've described it as I'm using this term vibes uh, or vibration and this uh -huh. th that that's kind of the feeling I guess you have with people and you know, there's so much more to the idea of vibration. That's going to be the lens that I kind of share this through. But um, it's just making me really happy. It's almost like this. I don't know, that the fact that you're going down this road with it and you're putting it in kind of your terms with, with this amount of kind of clarity and, and depth is really nice. Um, and you're right about creativity. It is a muscle that, you know, that needs working out and, and, and practice to mm -hmm. develop this, um, you know, bandwidth of imagination to be able to use in these scenarios um but yeah i'm really feeling i'm really enjoying everything that you're kind of going through with me Forrest. this is like this is like a nice sharing i'm just trying to think of thinking maybe to change gears a little bit and and take it in a different direction but um this is so powerful everything you're saying makes a lot of sense yeah. glad to help yeah um so yeah it's just i guess um there's this element of it keeps it keeps coming back to I keep coming back to this element of moving into or following through with things and maybe it's just that it seems to be a personal thing um, but there seems to be a, a, a something that's stuck in that area um, so once the understanding is there and once everything is felt there's like this practicing that takes place um, and then there's all these other things that need to be incorporated, like this sense of patience, but also this sense of um, needing to move because um, of the way everything seems to be changing in the world and going. This this idea of um, contribution, the importance of a meaningful contribution in a timely manner, but then also being kind of compassionate with ourselves and kind enough to kind of allow that process to happen organically um, because it seems as though when things are rushed or when choices are rushed um, they, they there may not be um, the optimal outcome but then there's also this sense of like if you if you stay in the space of making the choice for too long there's something that's really draining and really like there's something that's that's horrible about just living in that space without making the movement or finally coming to a decision. And there's this idea that I, that I come to of like, as you walk, the path unfolds as well. So not needing to kind of be super, um, you know, a hundred percent about everything and kind of allowing things to develop. I'm just going to make sure this, um, the computer's just running low on battery. Give me one moment, but you're with me. Yeah. 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 I got your question. So one aspect of your question is, you know, how do we gauge the appropriate timeliness, right? To not rush, but also not to procrastinate. Exactly. Right. And, you know, that, that question about, uh, first of all, I agree with you in the notion that 
there is a right timeliness. And we want that timeliness to be uh, appropriate to the circumstance. You, you mentioned earlier that um, you know, some choices feel like they're more momentous and yet every choice feels important. Um, if, if I'm trying to choose you know, which school I'm going to or which job I'm going to take or uh, which partner I'm going to have, then, then there's, a, uh, there's a real sense that these are, these are really long-term choices, right? If I, if I go to this college versus that one, it could have real significant long-term implications in terms of who I meet, what relationships and jobs and opportunities will open up to me and, it, and my course of life will be genuinely different. Hmm. Um, same for, you know, taking one job or another or getting involved with one person or another. There's, there's profound impacts that those choices have. And that's just speaking at a personal layer. Obviously, you know, when we're talking about communities, you know, what we invest in as a community, what we basically do as a nation and as a, as a, as a planet is, is profoundly important as far as our collective future is concerned. So for things that are, that are deeply important, I think there is a kind of proportionality of uh, wanting to explore more deeply, uh, you know, wanting to really think and feel and, and imagine different scenarios um, and, and to do so in a way that is, is commensurate with the depth of, of the impact. If I'm, if I'm just trying to figure out whether or not to have, you know, a mochaccino or, or a pastry or something, you know, then that, that, the, the scope of the impact of that choice is probably going to be, you know, the next few hours. But, but if I'm basically looking to, to define the course of life, then, then, then I really want to spend some, some, some days or weeks thinking about that. Hmm. Um, and I say thinking, but I'm including the imagination of feeling and, and conversations with other people, collective sense-making process, uh, you know, research and exploration, you know, the real test it all the way through with every facility that you have. Whereas, um, so how do, how do we know? Well, one of them is the gauge of importance, you know, higher impact choices, longer time, just quite frankly. Then there is uh, a sort of correction that we want to make for a kind of habitual bias that we all carry. And um, this is called the action bias, which is, uh, it's an evolutionary thing. You know, when, when we're in the jungle, uh, you know, think caveman times, for example, and, and uh, you hear something, you know, a little bit over your shoulder and rustling in the bush, uh, your first response is probably going to be an adrenaline rush to basically run or maybe to turn around and prepare to fight because it could be a tiger. And if it's a tiger and you are appropriately prepared in a very quick way, uh, you have a, a much improved chance of survival. Whereas if you, if you just sort of you know, passively think about it for a moment or two and say, ah, oh, well, maybe that's just a squirrel or something, and it is actually a tiger, then you don't get to live another day, right? So in this sense, the action bias of do something, even if it's not necessarily uh, appropriate, like it might only be a squirrel or a falling branch or something like 99 times out of 100. But that one time that it was actually a tiger, you, you get to, to endure. So having an action bias is, is, is a thing that, that, that promoted our well-being, promoted our survival, even though it was wrong almost all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, in the modern world, uh, you know, we're not dealing with tigers so much. We're dealing with, you know, crucial chronic problems rather than acute emergency situations. A tiger is an acute situation. Um, basically having adrenaline rush all the time, whether or not there's a tiger or not, means that my system is now gonna be uh, degraded because I'm no longer well adapted. There's, there's an appropriateness to, to how we respond. If it's a technology issue, then um, 
making the first satisficing choice isn't going to be uh, correct. What we really need is actually the best choice. So distinguishing which kind of scenario we're choosing into is important for how much of an action bias we want to correct for. There seems to be this idea of kind of, um, what's the word? Um, like, I'm just going to describe it because I can't think of the word right now, but kind of like failing and then it, like just kind of fixing our mistakes as we fail and and right. um, trial and error approach what we call this uh, safe to fail probes yeah so uh, this comes from uh, some of the complexity work uh, the Kinevan framework and, mm. and um, uh, Mr. Snowden who, who did some not the guy who is in Russia but but a, but a researcher on, on complexity because there can be there can be a stunting process that takes place when when there's like everything's too overwhelming and we don't move because you know yeah. and we kind of want to do something yeah, about there's, that there's well. a lot of balances here so i want to yeah. i want to sort of outline the different ones right so for instance if we if we become habitually disabled right everything we do we believe is going to cause problems mm. um then then there isn't an inhibition right so for instance if i'm if i'm dealing with a situation that um you know mistakes are allowable then probably I don't need to figure everything out. I can try some things out and learn from those experiences and then do better, right? Mm. And so a, a satisficing approach may be actually just what exactly is needed. I might not be able to anticipate in advance how things are going to respond. You know, a complicated world or complex situation. I may need to have some experimental back and forth to do the sense-making necessary to come up with a good answer. Uh, whereas on the other hand, if we're dealing with something like uh, biotech or artificial intelligence or, uh, you know, X-risk phenomena. You want to get it right I, the first time. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. Right. I mean, anything yeah. to do with nuclear weapons, for example, um, you know, you, you really don't have the, the, the option of trial and error. You, you, you need to be certain that you just don't make mistakes or we're all gone, basically. Mm. So in, in this sense, the, 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 the amount of process that I will engage in my choice is going to be very, very different depending upon whether or not, um, again, you know, safe to fail probes are possible, whether or not there's experimentation possible. In other words, is it, is it a thing where the first good solution is enough or does it actually have to be the best solution? Have you thought about in your time, for, sorry to slightly interrupt you, Forrest, but have you ever thought about, you know, a framework for introducing this into the collective consciousness for like kind of um helping enable people deeper um to make choices like this or from these these with these considerations um i know you, you're doing a lot of work in that area and i'm just curious to know um what your thoughts are in terms of kind of you know dusting the space with this kind of vibe you know what i mean well, I'm one person and the social media world is very noisy and busy. And, and so, you know, I'm not necessarily going to be able to convince anybody that what I'm telling you is important, but I think that to the degree that people discover it to be meaningful and worthwhile, they'll come back for more. I mean, that's mostly what I can, I can offer. I can, I can basically say, you know, there are recordings such as the one that we're making right now. Um, there are books that I'm writing. There are uh, occasionally I, I get the opportunity to teach and people are really paying attention. Um, and, you know, I just, I just basically, I, I do what I can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's been, uh, you know, some situations where people have learned from what I've, I've said and then re-represented the material. Um, 
you know, at first I felt really good about that approach, but recently I've, I've, I've kind of felt it to be a, uh, a sort of plagiarism of my person or identity. So I've, I've, I've shied away from that uh, mm. quite a bit now, mm. but um, you know, in, in effect, there's a, there's a sense here where even if we have uh, really good plans and really good ideas and so on and so forth, that, that to, to, to some extent, we're really looking at how do we improve the health of the community? Uh, social media right now is a kind of aberration. It's a, it's, it's a disablement of the health of the community. And so, you know, on, on one hand, I can, I can basically say that and I can point out exactly what that means. And I can, I can sort of describe why alternatives are needed or, or, or what would be needed. Um, but, but ultimately it, it comes back down to, you know, I can't really use social media to complain about social media and, and actually have that make sense. Um, I mean, I can to some extent, but it's 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 already a little bit uh, convoluted because of the the means ends uh, sort of paradox. Uh, so so in that sense, it's it's still an open question as to, you know, can we help people to notice the degree to which they've been um, that their that their facilities and their sense making capacities, their um, you know place in the world has been. Uh, you know, largely shifted by the very dynamics of how we interrelate with technology. Yeah, there's almost like not even come to think of it, like it doesn't need to be approached with force. It's almost like that idea of like, you know, just being present with someone that's going through suffering and, you know, maybe laying some seeds to help them out, but they really need to be the ones that pick them up and, and come to you rather than kind of like forcing people or judging people or... Well, I can't of, force anybody to do anything. I mean, I, I can try, but ultimately that would be a futility. It's just the wrong way to go, yeah. No. And it's even like, even to think that, you know, the way we see things or the way I see things is, is you know, more significant than someone else's perspective. But it's also like, it just seems to like everyone needs to step up into their own lives and, and no one can do that for them. Um, there's There's very much that approach. I mean, I... I, as I said, you know, this is still an active inquiry. I'm, I'm, I'm like myself learning better ways to, to think about this uh, even still, and I'm sure I will for the rest of my life. But uh, at the moment, all I can really do is, is to, um, you know, write down what I can and speak where, where the uh, opportunity seems to be and, and um, you know, hope for the best, I guess. But the, the notion here is, is that we can create uh, some clarity about some of these, like the questions that you're asking are actually really good questions. And, and, and they're meaningful questions. And so, um, you know, when, when we're, we're talking about how to make good choices or how to find the right balance between uh, choosing too quickly out of a sense of reactiveness, right? The, um, the, the way it's been described is uh, choosing on the basis of the immediate situation rather than on the basis of what's important. Um, but of course, you know, there's also the distortion of, you know, getting hung up on the, on the uh, you know, in, in, in stymed by, uh, analysis paralysis as, as, as somewhat uh, also referred to. And so what I'm basically trying to do is to uh, just sort of outline the kinds of concepts that would help us to disentangle that, mm -hmm. to, to, to sort of know how to distinguish. So this is why I'm, I'm using the metaphors about, you know, why we have this bias, why it's a natural bias to have an action orientation, um, but how with technology, we need to think about, you know, what is the best solution rather than just what's the first satisfying one. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's, there's other dynamics that show up. Uh, for example, when we, when we think about the kinds of questions that we're asking, 
So for example, you know, if I, if I'm asking lots of how to questions, um, that's, you know, again, an action oriented basis, which is, which is fine, but sometimes I need to go deeper and I need to ask the why question, like, why are we doing this? Why do we need to respond at all? Or, and then somewhere along the way, we're going to go to an even deeper level. We're going to ask, what is the essence of what success is? Yeah. I think that's, that's a question that I've been exploring in my own life lately. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a pretty, it seems like a very significant one, you know, what's my ambition and why am I doing that? Why am I even going in that direction? And it's almost seems to be something that needs to be revisited because, mm-hmm. you know, that changes over time. It's not something that seems like it's solid. And every time I revisit it, everything kind of spins out because it's like, what's even going on here? Like what's happening right now, you know? And yep. then like everything is kind of, um, when that when seems to be navigating towards that, that, that point. Um, well, this is, this is very much connected to what we were just talking about between, um, thinking and feeling, right? When yeah. we're thinking, we're asking why type questions, why did this happen? Why does that happen? Um, you know, what, what is the pattern and the shape of things? And, you know, it's like a two-year-old, for example, a two-year-old says, well, why is the sky blue? And you can invoke responses in terms of, you know, photochemistry and, and, you know, quantum physics and things like that. But ultimately they're going to ask, well, why that? Why quantum physics? Why does the Heisenberg uncertainty principle occur? And somewhere along the way, a person's just going to say, well, I have no idea, right? But the, the notion here is, is that somewhere along the way, the why question gives way to a what question. I can't say why something's happened in terms of some intellectual pattern. I can only say what I know or what seems to be the case? What is the substrate out of which we even construct a why type question? Hmm. So, you know, metaphysics in this sense, and, and, and when, when we're talking about, you mentioned earlier that these questions have a kind of moving character. You know, who am I? What is here? What matters? These are all perennial questions Every time I ask the question, who am I? I'm going to have a different answer. Who am I in this moment is going to be different than who I am tomorrow and who I was yesterday. And what's here? Well, there's an awful lot of change here. And the change is going to make here a different place tomorrow than it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so in effect, when we're, when we're getting into the notion of the nuances, when we're looking at what is... Uh, what does it mean to be discerning, to really notice these changes in their, in their uh, infinitely varied details? That there is a, there's a sense of, of engagement in the here and now that allows us to actually respond from a centered place. If I, if I have a really solid uh, connection to who I am, um, you know, and, and I've integrated my whole self, I've done the psychotherapy, I've I've, in a sense, uh, integrated all the aspects of my personality into one organic whole. Then, first of all, when I respond, I can respond as a whole being and I'll be more effective. But it's also the case that in the, in the sense that I know myself fully, I know who I am. And when I respond from the place of who I am as a whole being, that response is going to be naturally integrated with the environment in a more uh, comprehensive way than if I'm uh, in doubt, I'm, I basically don't know who I am. So, the, so these meditation practices of 
of you know essentially becoming more aware of oneself become more and more aware of one's feelings isn't some sort of narcissist thing it's actually a sense of creating the capacity to be able to be fully present and to feel the time as to when is the right time to respond to not react but to act right and 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 see the the, the reaction has a causal element has a kind of unconsciousness but the discernment creates a a deeper consciousness, a deeper awareness of the flow so that the, the moment in which you feel moved to act is much, much more likely to be the right moment in which to act, right? And again, this is a discerning thing. Uh, judgment is going to have a reactiveness to it. It's going to have a kind of unconsciousness built in. But as I become more aware of, you know, moving from the question of, of uh, how to why to what, when I can res when I can live in the space of what is, both for myself and for the world, then I can have the impedance match between what is in myself and what is in the world actually be the best, and and from that we can we can actually answer questions of who and when and where, and that's all there is to it, right? There's there's really only six questions: how, why, what. Those are the abstract questions, and then we have the embodied questions of who when and where and there are only six kinds of questions and so in effect if we if we really get to the to the sense of having mind and body and you know the the, the sort of heart and the gut integrated with our our, our our capacities then 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 we are able to have the who the when and the where be in balance between the what the why and the how and that's the that's the whole package so in, in this particular sense i think that um, you know, we've, we've, we, we, as a culture have, uh, you know, we've, we've become displaced. We've, we've in effect, uh, traded a sort of hypernormal stimulus, you know, the, the, the feed of, of news articles that just scrolls past and, and the whole psychodynamic of the slot machine mentality of, you know, if I do this, I'm going to get this, uh, reward token in the form of, uh, likes or, or followers or something like that. But all of that is pseudo action. It doesn't actually touch the real world. It's not, it's not going to, you know, make a new kind of, um, you know, energy system or build a house or, or uh, genuinely help another person move or grow a garden or, you know, cook dinner or anything like that. It's going to be, um, you know, essentially the signaling of something rather than the actual being of it. And so in this sense, part of it is, you know, literally just getting out of our own way and, and engaging with the actual universe, the, the, the real physicality of being rather than just the, um, the screen mediated versions thereof. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. <laughs> hmm. Do you have any books you can, um, recommend me to read of yours that that may i don't know you've written a few i've written a few the one that is closest to what we're currently talking about is a book called the the effective choice hmm. so you, if you go to uh, magic-flight.com it's spelled exactly the way it would seem hmm. um you know, and, and, and you and you look for books and you basically see the effective choice book. You can purchase it direct. We make those books. You know, we don't, <laughs> we we set up our own printing shop and we, we just did a run of 
making our own books. It was kind of fun. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, the topics that are in the, the effective choice uh, are, are really interwoven through a lot of the stuff that we've, we've talked about today. Hmm. Fantastic. Well, yeah, I, th I think we've kind of gone to a place that seems pretty meaningful to me. And um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. It's just I really appreciate it. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I appreciate the profound impact you've had on my life in it just you know in a way that you know it's it could seem so simple but um it's had all these like kind of um deeper kind of effects so thank you <laughs> well you're, you're most welcome thank you for for reaching out i mean you know the the, the whole thing about um you know the the intention that i put into putting that aphorism on the back of our products um you know there's 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 not very many companies that do something like that but but honestly it was it was it was something that for me felt uh meaningful in the hope that the experience that you've had as a result would be the the thing that that at least somebody had mm. so to hear and to know that that has helped you so much is actually quite affirming for me because it's it's a realization of one of my hopes and dreams and putting that on the box in the first place you know there's a there's a sense here by which uh, it's it's a kind of closing of the loop. It's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a realization of a of a hope and a dream that that this would make a difference in the world. That somebody would that that, that hopefully many somebodies would benefit from that in a real and, and and embodied way. Yeah, I guess if you're coming from a real place and you have this intention that's pure, and um, you put something out there, you know, sometimes it's not so obvious what the effects are. And <laughs> well, it's certainly not been obvious until relatively recently i mean it's been a while that that was you know we've been running that product for 10 years now and um you know we we even had contests at one point like we had a we i think it was in year five of the company or something we we basically said here we'll we'll give you uh you know some free product if you if you write an essay that really expresses the essence of what this aphorism is about <laughs> we got about 100 100 essays back and when I read through them, I, I, I was actually really disappointed because 90, 95% of them were trying to get the prize, know, <laughs> just, just clearly trying to get the prize, but not really understanding the essence of it. Um, you know, your description today was, was, uh, you know, more of what I was actually hoping for and looking for, you know, to, to really know that it was a, a meaningful difference in, in a sense that that went beyond just the words, but really went into the deep meditation about it and the feelings of it and the, and the understanding that, um, you know, th these these were in intended to to genuinely shape how we have relationships, how we how we do community, how we uh, navigate emotions and feelings and thoughts and and choices in life, and 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 the ways in which, you know, those practices of how we show up actually being improved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, connected to this, uh, just as as you asked about, um, um, you know, books and stuff like that. The effective choice would for sure be the central one, but. Um, on the website, I just literally put up this morning, I wasn't thinking about this, this uh, conversation, but uh, it's actually extremely timely because, um, you know, that, that the first part of we talked a little bit about is love is that which enables choice. The second line of uh, love is always stronger than fear. You remember I said it was a theorem. Yes. I.e. It's a, it's a known outcome based yeah. upon the dynamics of emotion. Well, I just posted on my website, uh, mflb.com, you'll see a 
a section at the top of the first page that says Tantra. Okay. And you, you go into that menu and, and, and one of them is going to be an essay on the dynamics of emotion. I wrote it. Uh, I'm going to enjoy like, reading that one. Yeah. Well, 20 years ago, I wrote this, this essay about how emotions flow and transform. And there's, there's really only a handful of emotions. There's love, fear, anger, frustration, and depression. How do you come up with Pretty this stuff? You're just sitting there thinking about this or like what's... Well, as a philosopher, you know, I, I, I started with this notion of metaphysics. So there's, there's this deeper system of the relationship between the subjective and the objective, and it informs yeah. a whole lot of other questions. So, yeah. so in effect, what happened is, is that, you know, as I'm exploring in my own life of how to work with these, you know, firsthand dynamics that I'm experiencing, you know, I'm sure everyone else is. Nice too, that is, it comes from this, this place of experience. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's 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 it 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 has to. I mean, you know, philosophy is 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 you know not just the love of wisdom, but but uh, you know, to in a sense, you have to embody that wisdom to some extent. It it becomes a practical thing. So you just kind of write out your experiences and you look for patterns and you see, you know, you come up with this theory and that would open up doors for you know an extension. Well, I had a lot that. of help. I, I first of all, as a as a software engineer, I was able to to do some things which, which, you know, previous philosophers, I don't think ever really had the opportunity to even try. Um, so, you know, there's the internet and there's all the research that people had done. And at the time that I was doing this work, uh, it was, it was really the perfect time. I mean, the, the internet had just started to come into being, but it had come from a very academic background. And most of the people that were involved were, were engineers and were, you know, scientists and mathematicians and, and, and very, very passionate about the quality of their work. And so, in effect, the signal to noise ratio was tremendous. I mean, it, you know, nowadays it's it's almost all noise. So I tried to do, yeah, yeah. So, it, so in effect, the the timing was very good, and I was able to, um, you know, develop tools and capacities with these newfangled machines, right? These computers that were just powerful enough to be able to actually do this sort of work, um, to to really be able to look at uh, a tremendous number of, of of theories of philosophy, of of science, of of, of engineering and math and, and to combine them with these sort of spiritual and mystical teachings. And so in effect, there was a, there was a, again, there's a whole story here about how uh, the work was effectively done, but, but it wasn't just uh, my own reflections on pattern and such like that. It was essentially the, the magnified result of, 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 you know, centuries of people thinking about these topics. Through, the, so when, through, through computers and through technology at that time. Well, it gave me the tools. It gave me some of the tools. There's there's two sets of tools. Well, actually three. There was the, the sort of um, objective uh, computer science sort of tool set. And then there was um, a deep number of, uh, frankly, for lack of a better word, esoteric practices that I had, had learned and, and trained in. Yeah. Um, and between those was, was this uh, deeply embodied sense of craftsmanship. My father was... And, and, and still is a, is a master craftsman. He's a woodworker. He, he has a, uh, you know, a shop and has been doing woodworking for, for all of my life. I mean, you know, he's, uh, he's that's the reason those boxes was, look so nice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was, I was basically coming back to my roots and, and, you know, that, that box is uh, barely a demonstration of woodworking. You know, it's a tiny thing, but, but, but honestly, um, you know, it was, it was nice to basically after having so much um, of this, ephemerality in the sense of, you know, a professional career as a software engineer, and then these, these uh, super high abstractions and, 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 and sort of esoteric disciplines um, that, that, 
you know, to actually do something with your hands. I mean, to, you know, there's, there's a huge number of neural process that, that is in your, in your hands. You have more sensitivity in your palms and fingers than almost your entire torso. So there's a, there's a sense here by which, you know, we literally become more intelligent by the capacity to build things, to work with clay or with wood or with stone or metal and to, 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 to know how nature moves shape and force and time. And so, you know, in effect, if you become really skillful as a craftsman, then there is a, a kind of embodied intelligence that, that goes beyond just what is uh, intellectually available in the uh, computer science world or in yeah. the uh, esoteric world. So in effect, I had these three tool sets and, um, you know, in myself, the, the capacity to combine them. And that led to things which were, uh, well, far more than the sum of the ingredients involved. Yeah. I'm really co cognizant of time here, Forrest, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, I just, I would love to open a possible door to a future conversation at some point, whether that's um, three to six months time or even longer, I don't mind, but it would be nice to talk again. Um, it would be great. And I'm very curious about the specifics on the software and the practices, but I guess we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> well, how about three months? You reach out again and, um, you know, ping me if you, if you, if you don't happen to uh, get a response right away, I mean, I, I don't know what uh, my future holds, but, um, you know, just, just keep reaching out until I, and, and, and try until you get an answer, basically. But I, I would suggest that um, it would be quite fun to, to meet with you again. And, and uh, I have enjoyed the experience of, of talking with you quite a lot. So I, I would actually look forward to an occasion to do that again. Fantastic. Well, I think we could probably leave it at that. Um, I'm definitely going to check out this theor theory that you threw up this morning, though, and I'm going to point people in that direction because it seems like, yeah, I'm just curious to see what I find, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, but... explore what's on mflb.com. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, as I said, look at the dynamics of emotion. It's a kind of stiff, formally written paper, but there's a, there's a lot there that connects connects some of the dots on this. Mm -hmm. Um you know, again, it's there's there's a sort of tantra section that that, that I'm developing, and and uh, you know, there's 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 a few other podcasts that I've done, um, you know, that, that may be of interest to you if you dig around on the internet. Yeah, will do. All right, Forrest, thank you so much. And um, yeah, I don't know how to. It's it's very hard to convey, you know, how thankful I am, you know, over the screen. I'd love to just reach over and give you a big hug and just, you know, I really appreciate it. Um, and I guess, yeah. We'll see how things go and um, I'll hit you up in a couple of months. All right. Sounds good. It was truly a pleasure. Hope Thank to you talk so to much. You again soon. Have a good one. Blessed be. Namaste.